You're listening to the Hustle Podcast, stories for startups and innovators. Find out more on www.gohustle.co. Hello and welcome to the Hustle Stories for Startups and Innovators. And don't forget, you can listen back to this podcast and more on gohustle.co, the home of great business stories. And I'm delighted that on the line for me in Switzerland is Charis Yadigaraglu, uh, who is the Chief Comms Officer for MBNF. Charis, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me and congratulations on uh, pronouncing my last name uh, flawlessly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it took me hours of practice, don't worry. Um, it's it's amazing if people ever get a chance to go onto your website, MBNF. It is absolutely phenomenal what you guys do. Give us a quick insight into what is MBNF. Well, thanks for the compliments. To make things simple, I guess you could say that most people would say we make watches, luxury watches. Uh, we would actually tend to say exactly the opposite. We don't make watches, we make machines. Uh, some of those machines happen to tell time. That's that's a short way to put it. And if people kind of go on, they'll find that uh, these watches or these uh, fantastic machines, uh, as you put it, uh, mm. can go from anything between fifty to a hundred thousand uh, dollars and so on. But these are just exquisite pieces of art, effectively, aren't they? They're just the time taken, etc. That's that's exactly the term. You you nailed it. Uh, yeah, they are watches. They do happen to give time, but as I said, we don't consider them as watches. We actually never use that term. It, it seems very strange to us. It's it's really about uh, mechanical art. That's what interests us. It's it's about creating mechanical art, which happens to be in the case of a watch on your wrist and happens to give time. But it's much bigger than that, and that's why, yes, indeed, uh, if you consider this simply as a watch, it's unreasonable amounts, unreasonable prices. Uh, they started around $50,000 a euro or whatever, and they actually reach 10 times those amounts uh, in some cases, so up to 500000 Not reasonable for a watch. Possibly <laughs> something you might consider if, you, if you're willing to consider it is, it is art. And in that price tag, what's, what's in that price tag? What justifies that kind of price? That kind of price. Very good question. It's... Um, it's a lot of R&D, first of all, uh, that goes into it. Roughly, and, and these things do change a bit, but, but they're actually quite consistent. Roughly, we invest about three to four years of research and development into creating one of these new machines. So during that time, of course, we're spending a lot of money, uh, not just of our own time and our own resources, but also working with a lot of people around us, the people we call friends, and we can get back to that in a second. So yeah, three or to forty years of, of intense research and development. Then, when we've kind of finally conceived the piece, uh, we actually produce it. And producing one of these machines or watches takes literally months. Uh, so between the manufacturing of the various components, uh, typically a watch has three, four, five hundred different components. Uh, so the manufacturing of those components, the finishing. Most of them are actually hand-finished, so there, there are people with their hands doing the finishing process, and then the assembly itself of this sort of puzzle into what becomes a watch, uh, that takes, as I said, months. And then to make things worse, uh, after spending these years of R&D and spending months to actually produce a piece, we, we don't make them for very long, meaning, you know, the typical lifetime of, of, of a new machine is, is a couple years. So we'll make 
50, 100 pieces, not thousands, not tens of thousands, not millions, maybe 50 to 100 pieces, mm. and then we stop. So all the R&D, all the effort that goes into this is, is never amortized over a long period of time. It's, it's literally over maybe 100 pieces. That's what explains the prices. And is that a difficult thing to do in terms of to just cut something off like that, especially if you've created something that perhaps personally or something like that you feel is such a beautiful piece, you'd love more people mm. to have it, and then all of a sudden you, you reach your limit and you go, that's it. Is that, is that a hard thing to kind of just turn off? It, it is. It's uh, the decision to actually stop one of the machines with what we call usually a final edition is heartbreaking. And in some cases, it breaks the hearts of many of the people around us. Typically, the retailers who do sell our watches, because we do have a, a small network of around 30 retailers around the world, uh, they tell us, you know, what, why are you stopping this machine? It's still selling. People still love it. Uh, you know, we're happy to have it in stock. But that's not the business model we follow. We're not about trying to create blockbusters, which were run for decades or whatever. We're... It's simply about creating, as I said, mechanical art. And, you know, an artist, uh, if we can use that term, it would, would never be interested in doing the same thing over and over and over. It's, it's always about creating the next machine. Yeah, and that was going to be... But it is heartbreaking. You're right. It's heartbreaking, and it's a tough business decision because from a pure business point of view, it would make a lot more sense to prolong the life of these machines over decades that's when we would be making more money, more margins, but that's not what this is about. But doesn't that mean if you, I suppose, if you were to make thousands of them, your price point would disappear, its rarity would disappear, and I suppose the attraction of these pieces that you uh, create as well would also disappear? Absolutely. It's, that's, that's why you know, we, we resist that temptation. The, the entire uh, business model is really based on, yes, the scarcity, the creativity, and when we say creativity, it means being able to do crazy things in small amounts. From the moment you decide you're going to make watches on a grander scale, you know, thousands of pieces or tens of thousands or hundred thousands, you stop taking creative risks. You make watches for the masses, you know, I'm being a bit provocative here, mm -hmm. and, and you cannot take the same risk we're taking. We know that the machines we make don't have a market for thousands or tens of thousands of people. There are a few hundred or maybe, you know, several hundred people out there crazy enough willing to, to buy this type of mechanical art, but, but probably not many more. Give us a little insight into the company itself. Where is its, its origins in starting this? Sure. Um, so the name of the company is MB&F, which, by the way, stands for Maximilian Busser and Friends. So to understand a little bit about the company, you need to understand who Max is, as everyone calls him. Uh, Max is uh, obviously a very talented guy. I'm not being very objective here, but uh, he's my boss. But uh, he spent the first, yeah, the first 15 years of his uh, career working for the uh, larger watch brands. Uh, two of them, one is JLC, as they call them, uh, Jaeger Le Coultre, uh, a classic, wonderful brand, uh, which is part of the Richemont Group. Yeah. And then after that, he became the CEO of Harry Winston at Timepieces, so their timepiece division. Uh, 15 years, as I said, making uh, beautiful watches the traditional way, mechanical watches, but basically making watches for others. Uh, Max was good at making watches for others. He was good at selling them, at marketing them. He was very successful in those two jobs. He was really one of the sort of young rising stars of the watch industry when he was at uh, Harry Winston. And then, 
at the sort of height of that uh, career when everyone uh, respected him. He was making lots of money at Harry Winston. Uh, he had just signed papers to build a new factory and so on. Uh, big surprise, he quit. Uh, he quit the company, and really everyone in the industry wondered what had gone wrong. What was uh, you know Max going through? Why would he leave such a comfortable job? Uh, he left that because he realized, to make a long story short, that uh, it was not uh, the money, the power, the respect that was making him happy. What he really loved was was to make exceptional watches, exceptional machines. And so he left that to create this his own company, Max Busser and Friends which was really conceived and designed and structured from day one to, to be his dream company. Uh, so it's not a good business decision for sure for him, uh, but it's a very good life decision. It's one that has made him a happy man, uh, not a rich man. Uh, he was much richer before. He put all his savings into this company, but he's a lot happier now. You mentioned something very interesting there as well, which was <clears throat> he was part of the traditional space of, yep. of making watches, etc. Where then does the realization come to deviate away from that kind of traditional uh, time-making uh, pieces to what, yep. what, what are, uh, some of them look like at MBNF, uh, kind of space-age kind of stuff as well. So, so why did the, the, the big deviance in design as well? <laughs> yeah, what went wrong in, my, in Max's mind? Huh? <laughs> why did he leave that? Well, the, the raw material is the same. So even though the designs uh, are definitely, you know, space age, very futuristic and so on, the ingredients inside our, our machines are traditional mechanical watchmaking. However, where the deviation happened was when Max realized that, you know, really today there's no functional reason, there's no good functional reason for a mechanical watch. If you're trying to sell a, a mechanical watch based on precision or accuracy or reliability or whatever, it's a lost battle. The time on your phone is a thousand times more precise, more reliable. It switches time zones automatically and so on. So there, there's no battle there. It's, there's no question. The only good reason in our view uh, to buy a mechanical watch is, as I said before, if you consider it possibly as an art form. And in that case, if it is art, why are the vast majority of mechanical watches today replicating the functional instruments of before? If it is an art form, there has to be uh, an opportunity to break away from the traditional watch form, just like art, contemporary art, broke away from traditional art forms when photography arrived. Hmm. You know, in the old days, art was about portraiture or landscapes because that's that was a very functional reason to do to do it you had to show things and when photography came along in a split second you had something that was much more you know uh, reliable much more uh, accurate uh, than any painting so art reinvented itself and you know we went into abstract painting and cubism and whatever contemporary art mm. we're trying to do exactly the same thing with mechanical watchmaking Let's forget the functional aspect of just giving time, which is obvious, which is easy, it's a given. Break away from that and let's do mechanical art. Where do you find the customers for something like this? <laughs> I know you've got kind of sellers and dealers uh, around the world. So, so who is your, who's your customer? Is it, the, is it the millionaire? Is it the tycoon? Is it, where, where do you see this? Well, it's, uh, it's a very diverse group and it is 
around the world. Literally, uh, you know, we have, uh, we sell, by the way, between 250 and 300 watches a year. So it's, it's a very small group of people. And they are spread out across, that's one of the challenges of the entire planet. So whether it's North America, whether it's through Europe, the Middle East, uh, the Asia, Far East, and so on, it's, uh, it's, it's really uh, all over the planet. Most of these people, yes, honest, obviously have uh, a lot of financial resources because, yeah, to buy a watch that's worth fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, euros, whatever, you need you need a lot of money. Uh, we often say that, you know, it's not enough to be just a millionaire because even though you might spend a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand on a car. Uh, and much more, of course, on a house, it doesn't mean you're willing to do the same for something that's kind of as secondary as a watch. So these are most, honest, most uh, commonly multimillionaires, billionaires. But then again, that's not enough, because if, if, if it's just about showing your success, then you would probably go for one of the better-known watch brands. Mm. You know, those markers that tell everyone, ah, this is an expensive piece, Obviously, the guy who's wearing it is very successful. That's not what's pushing uh, our owners. It's, it's more simply uh, a personal thing. Uh, very often, they are collectors of watches who have gone through the basics, so they have all the big brands already. They, they're maybe a bit tired of that, and they're looking for the next step. They're looking for something much more uh, confidential, much more sophisticated, and that's when possibly they arrive with us. The one common trait we do find across most of them is that most of them are, in one way or another, entrepreneurs. They're, they're self-made men and women who are not trying to reassure the people around them or to prove anything. Again, if that's, if that's the, the issue, they'll go for a big brand, a well-known brand. Hmm. This is much more of a self-confident uh, type of person who has nothing more to prove because he or she has succeeded on his own or her own. Wow. And how do you de decide on specific designs? Is there, do you kind of have maybe 10 designs and you pick design number four for whatever reason? Or how does it work? It's a very selfish process. And today, <laughs> uh, it's mainly, uh, I would say, the, the, the creative spark is, is Max himself. So Max, uh, Max Busser is, uh, of course, the owner and the founder mm. and the CEO of the company. Uh, but on his business card, it says owner and creative director. And that really is what he is. Uh, he, he starts these projects. He's not a designer as such. He's a trained engineer, uh, micro, micro technology engineer. That, that's his training, his education. So he understands the engineering and so on quite well. It helps him, of course, to create these, these watches. But he just gives the, the impetus uh, with the idea. It's, it scribbles, literally. Huh? He's not a very good illustrator or designer, but he has these amazing ideas. So he'll say, for example, that you know he wants to make a spaceship uh, for watch, and he will make some scribbles, uh, and then he will sit down with a real designer. And in our case, it's always the same guy. It's one of the friends, as we call them, a guy called Eric Giroux. He is a bit of a star now in the watch industry, but when we started working with him, he was not. He was uh, starting his career. This was 15 years ago. Well, 12 years ago, 13 years ago now. <laughs> um, and they sit together with Max uh, and, and, you know, fine-tune the design. Uh, so it's Max's idea, Eric Giroux's actual design, and then we bring in the engineers who actually make it happen. And by the way, that's exactly the opposite process versus uh, our colleagues in the watch industry. Hmm. Our colleagues in the watch industry always start a project with the engineers, 
because it's first about the movement, you know, the, 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 the mechanism inside the watch. So they will improve a movement, they'll add a new function or whatever, but it's really an engineering-driven process uh, with our competition. And when those engineers are happy with their movement, they bring in a designer who tries to put a nice little case around it. And then last but not least, we bring in the marketing guys, and the marketing guys try to spin a story to actually sell the piece. When they don't uh, have the creativity or the imagination to find a nice story, they call in an agent and a celebrity and they ask the celebrity to wear the watch. <laughs> Again, I'm being a bit provocative here, but that's usually how it works. So as you can see, our process is exactly the opposite. We start with the idea first, and that's Max. He says, you know, we're gonna build a spaceship, we're gonna build an airplane, we're gonna build a sports car that's going to be a watch, but that's the idea, it's the sports car. The designer then sits with, with Max and makes that idea as clear as possible through his design. And that's why our designs are so different from one another and so different from, from other watches. Mm. And then the engineers sit at the table and make it happen. They're not less important because the engineering is absolutely important. The mechanism inside needs to serve the idea beautifully. The finishing needs to be perfect and so on. But chronologically, it comes last. But is that a case of engineering serving the art rather than the other way around so so the art is forefront and then you go okay now engineering you solve the problem of making it work i'm going to use that phrase you just said again uh, <laughs> <laughs> the engineering serves the art absolutely fantastic and what's it like to be in an office where somebody turns around and says we're going to build something that looks like a spaceship or we're going to build something <laughs> that looks like an airplane and nobody bats an eyelid <laughs> it's it's uh, very surprising, sometimes very destabilizing, but a lot of fun. And it's it's not for everyone. It's true. Uh, we see with uh, you know the people we work with. Um, sometimes you know we'll hire someone who's very talented, but needs a bit more structure, needs a bit more reassurance, and you know a bit more of a quiet path. Uh, and usually it doesn't work out with those people. So you know we'll we'll part ways. Uh, it's it's more for people who do enjoy this uh, diversity and the surprise and the, you know, we, we tell people, you know, honestly, we don't know where we'll be in five years. There's no long-term plan here. Uh, we know what we're working on right now. So the projects, which I told you, usually take three to four years. The, the ones that are starting now, we, we obviously have a vision on those. But where the company will be going, what the new projects will be, uh, you know, what the new ones starting in three, four, five years from now are, no idea. Mm. And we love that. We love that uh, that freedom, in a way, uh, to operate as we wish. And, and is that the, the is that was going to be my next question? Is, is that the challenge? Because, you know, the challenge with create creativity is that you constantly have to be creative if you're making, yep. turning it into a business. So, you know, writers can get writer's block, artists can get, you know, artistic block where they, they can't find that kind of creativity that they got before. You know, songwriters lose their ability to kind of write great songs. Is there a danger that, you know, down the line that all of a sudden you'll kind of come in and you kind of go, it's just not working anymore? Sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I would, it would be a lie to say no. Uh, there is one. And I think right now, one of our most important assets is definitely the creativity uh, which, which Max provides. If Max has writer's block, as you said, we're in trouble. Uh, not for the next three to four years, because those projects are already on the board, but what comes next, definitely. That's one of the reasons, by the way, why, why Max actually moved away from the company. Right now, Max lives in Dubai, 
And that's not for fiscal reasons, I can tell you. He's not a rich man. It's really to get out of the office because we realized a couple of years ago that when he's in the office dealing you know, with everyday questions, problems, whatever, that's not when he's creative. It's when he's outside. It used to be in airplanes. It used to be when he was taking a flight because that's you know, one of those only moments when everyone leaves you alone. But it was a bit kind of worrying to uh, rely on, on travel, air travel, <laughs> to provide uh, the next uh, creative project. So he, he moved out. He's very often in the office, of course. He comes back once a month for a few days and so on. But he's actually living in a different city now. And it helps us. It helps him and it helps us to, to make sure that pipeline is, is alive and kicking. And I can tell you, right now it is. <laughs> it's more a question of uh, telling Max, whoa, 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 Max. <laughs> you know, you've already thrown... Uh, five or six projects out this last month. Let's uh, do it one first. More now, you know, let, let's, let's try to make some priorities here. So, Fantastic. so far so good, but we'll see. Absolutely, yeah. And I suppose there's a lesson there, I suppose, for every business, really, isn't there? Your, your yeah. CEO, your head of the company, your figurehead should be the person who's out creating, either generating sales, if you're a whatever kind of company, but also if you're a creative company, the person who makes the creative decisions. Yeah, absolutely. You need a you need a good team underneath, obviously, to handle you know the various uh, aspects of the business. But if that's the case, and it seems to be the case right now with us, then definitely uh, the person really providing you know the next steps, the vision, the creativity, whatever it is for the company. In our case, Max should I think be uh, at least uh, regularly outside of the everyday business. Absolutely. Mm. If people want to find out more about what you guys do, how you're doing it, and of course, look at some of the most amazing uh, time pieces or machines um, that they're probably ever going to see, where can they do that? I guess the best way is uh, our website, because you do get the full story there. Uh, so the website is www.mbandf.com. So that's Max Busser and Friends, MB and F. You need to spell out the and, huh? the website, the, the, the internet will not recognize the and sign. Mm-hmm. So mbandf.com. That's, that's really where you'll find everything about our timepieces, uh, our machines. And also you'll find a link to what we've called the Mad Gallery, because there's a whole new, I would say, dimension to the brand, which is this Mad Gallery. In two words, it's exactly the same idea as I told you before. So machines, mechanical art, but actually apply to other types of of, of objects and things, uh, whether it's lamps, motorcycles, uh, photography, whatever. At the Mad Gallery, we bring in creators from around the world. So we, we, we curate uh, these artists and designers from around the world who are doing something in the area of mechanical art. So I recommend both. Charles, thank you very much for joining us. It's a fascinating company and you're doing uh, amazing things there. Thank you very much for joining us and the best of luck to you guys, uh, I suppose, in the next three to four years at least. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. I appreciate it. You're listening to the Hustle Podcast, stories for startups and innovators. Find out more on www.gohustle.co.